an eerie sight, for my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, he did the mash, he did the monster mash, the monster mash, it was a graveyard smash, he did the mash, it caught on in a flash, he did the mash, he did the monster mash, ah, happy belated, Halloween to all of these Selby is God cast listeners. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. We record from a parking lot where we're actually seated next to each other. So that makes it at least a little bit fun. So I don't have to be digitized as much as normal when we do the show. And you'll be saved. <laughs> One of my favorite office skits. Uh, welcome everybody on in. Hope everybody's having a good uh, week and wrapping up their week as we record a new Selby's Godcast on Halloween. I know when people actually listen to this, it'll probably be later. But we do hope. What are you being this year? Everybody had a good Halloween. Uh, I'm gonna go as the the glove that got tossed by uh, Daniel Hudson. O.J. Simpson. <laughs> or that. Well, you just had to take it there, didn't you? <laughs> it's officially the off season. I've got. Yeah. All my energy. I'm ready to go. I can tell. Yeah. So I guess I'll, I, well, I will not be anything related to Jay Simpson. How about you? Uh, the last five years, I've been a strawberry. Uh, in like 20, I don't know, 15 maybe. Ryan Lewis was a banana and I was a strawberry. And I paid $80 for my strawberry. So I figured I got to get my money's worth. So I wore it to Halloween parties every year since. Um, but no, I, I think I'm, I'm going to just be myself this year. That's good. I'm glad. Uh, I'm just dressed as a father of two that's happy to get out of the house for a few minutes and not have screaming kids in the background. That's probably my favorite Halloween costume of the past several years. Uh, but it was not uh, a costume of any sort. It was reality last night for the Washington Nationals, World Series champion. And they get that for, they get to carry on that trophy for, you know, the next year. Claimed to be the defending champs. And we were talking about it a little bit as we were having some lunch. But if you think about the type of season that the Nationals had, uh, in, in some ways it, it mirrors the Indians in that at one point in the year, they looked dead. No way is this team going to be able to get back into the race. And yet, they caught fire at the end. They took care of the Indians in the final series. They roll into the postseason. And how many times have we said, even on this podcast, there are so many different little things that happen, not just in a a series or in a game, but in a several series in a postseason, in the, the stretch heading towards the postseason where if any one small little thing happens, it could completely disrupt the course of what ends up being history. And I'm thinking of the Nationals in that wild card game where they, they're much like the season, like they're dead. And yet, because of an error in right field, they end up taking the lead. How much of the postseason would be different if that ball is just played as it's supposed to be played Milwaukee and Washington stay tied. Maybe the Brewers go on to win that game. Maybe. Or if Christian Yelich doesn't get hurt. Sure. But just based on that one game, it alters everything up to the point where 
the Nationals actually win a championship in a series that, if you looked at the starting rotations, they could kind of match up. But we, for many of us, have been looking at the Astros as the big boogeyman in the closet, huh? Huh? as it is Halloween, and it was ultimately Washington ended up winning the, the World Series. So what do you take away from wasn't that that's like that movie that I haven't seen, The Butterfly Effect, right? Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, cool uh, premise. I don't know if the movie holds up all that well, but it's a cool thought. Butterfly flaps its wings in the other side of the world and causes a hurricane. Yeah, in the other I, hemisphere. I thought it was a little. In this case, it was all the uh, baby shark dancing. God, that was honestly the coolest part of this season was seeing those <laughs> Nationals fans. Be so into Baby Shark. That, that tells you how so the season cool. went for you. Yeah, well. Uh, it, but I, I would expect that from Mandy Bell of MLB.com. I wouldn't expect that from you. Yeah, I think I was just really slap happy by game 160. Um, but I, I think it told me a couple things. Number one, starting pitching isn't dead. True. The game is so cyclical. We thought, oh, well, starting pitchers only go four and two-thirds now, and you just got to load up on 12 relievers who all throw 98 miles an hour, and that's the way to win. And it's like, well, no. You look at this World Series was defined by starting pitching, um, in my mind. And these were two lineups that were really deep and really talented. And um, I think it, it if we're relating this to the Indians, it – reassured me that the way their roster can be structured is still a, a formula for success in the playoffs. If you have, like, let's say Kluber and Carrasco are their normal selves and you add Bieber and Clevenger to that, like, even if they don't have Miller, Allen, and Shaw back there, like, they still could be effective in October. And if they add two more hitters, like, they could, like, they have... A roster not too different than what the Nationals had, I feel like, if everyone's healthy and performing well. So I I don't know. I, I take away that it was a, a magical run. It was like I'm, I'm envious of people who covered the Nationals and got to write about all those crazy wins and the storylines that they had throughout the playoffs. I mean, that's – you think about it. I remember when we – I think maybe you were there. There were a few of us writers – who got together a few weeks after the 2016 run. Maybe you weren't there. It was August Fagerstrom, Ryan Lewis, and Jordan Bastian. I, mean, that was what you I were, don't know. Tell the story. I'll you lived so far there. away. I feel bad because I thought you were there. Now that I think about it, I don't think you were. Um, Bunch of a-holes. Well, you had like a three-hour drive. Anyway. <laughs> Not back then. <laughs> you had something. You were invited to this. But we were talking about how, like... Probably working for the radio station and had other responsibilities. That's how I'm going to put it in my head so I don't feel so <laughs> left out. Anyway, this didn't actually happen, dude. I'm just making up a story. <laughs> no, but we were talking about how it would be... Like, odds are we'll never cover a run as crazy as the 2016, the, that final month. Um, because it's just the way it is. And, like, even if the Indians win a World Series one day, like, it might be a, just a boring journey to to a world series win and it, is that possible well but odds are it's not going to be as crazy as some you're being down to three starting pitchers uh one of those three hurts his pinky on a drone propeller and you have ryan Merritt in the cowboy boots you got josh tomlin and his dad you've got 
the Cubs drought versus the Indians drought, Jason Kipnis in the middle of it. I mean, just everything that went into 2016. Um, it is so much fun. It, it's hell during it because it's just nonstop and it's every day and it's, it's relentless. But when you get to the end and you wake up and you think back, it's like, oh my God, was that fun to cover? Like, and that's why people ask, like, don't you root for the team you cover? And it's like, no, but we root for the story. And sometimes those Coincide, rooting interests. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just think about like that 2016, if the Indians win that series, I think I wasn't the, like I had, I know I had a, a book deal lined up to write something if, if they won it. And I know I wasn't the only one and it was tailor made for a book. And you could say the same thing about the Cavs run. The Nationals falls, I mean, it's, it's tee it up. You can just, you could write that in your sleep. I mean, all the comebacks they had, all the times they were pushed to the brink. You had Max Scherzer getting hurt during the World Series. They lose three straight games at home. Like Juan Soto finally bursting onto the national and stage th- for everyone may- to see. Maybe the greatest story is Steven Strasburg coming full circle here where yeah. – Remember, he doesn't get to pitch in the playoffs as he's coming back from injury. And I, they were right. <laughs> I guess. I mean, we'll never know what the other, how the other scenario plays out. Maybe they won the World Series that year because he's actually pitching. I don't know. But it is interesting that it comes full circle where he is the, the horse that steps out there, wins two games for them, wins World Series MVP. Uh, I think puts some of the, the discussion about him just being below expectations for his career to bed. And really with the expectations that were on him when he came into the league, it was going to be damn near impossible for him to live up to. I mean, they were already billing him as, you know, this is the next. His second career start was in Cleveland. Yeah, I remember, remember Yeah, I, I even remember. You they... were there that time, right? I think, <laughs> I was, I think yes, you were there. I was there. I know. You had I remember they actually. <laughs> Put it on the scoreboard. They were advertising, like, hey, the next series coming up. Steven Strasburg's going to be here. And Buy stay tickets. tuned for after that. Snow days. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so for that to come all the way around and, and the Nationals to be doing it in a different way than, than teams have recently is also fun. I And we all get carried away with this. I'm sure we all did in 2016. If we go back to listen to things that we said back then, we're probably all, yeah, it's all about the bullpen. I mean, we all get mm-hmm. really uh, bogged down by what we saw most recently. But the Nationals prove that you can do it more than one way. It's not always everyone has to copy. Because remember the, the discussion after the, the Royals won? It's like, oh, no, it's all about contact. It, it, Everyone always wants to reach on to what the latest team that won it all was doing and say that that's the new trend in baseball. When in reality, that will be the trend for some, but you have to go out there and win the game with with the talent that you have, with the roster that you have. Good managers find a way to take the talent that they have and mold their managing style based off of that. If the Nationals would have managed things like the Indians in 2016 where they're pulling out Josh Tomlin in the, with one out in the fifth inning and because he's gone two times through the lineup and you need to immediately get to Andrew Miller and Cody Allen, well, that probably would have blown up in their faces. They stuck with their horses because those are the guys that brought them there, uh, and they were able to play the game in a different way than a lot of other teams in a position in the postseason would play it. And so that I, I think more than just, well, that's just going to prove to everybody that starting pitching is really important. Well, yeah, if you have – 
do you have Max Scherzer? Do you have Steven Strasburg? Do you have Corbin that can come out of the bullpen? Can can you have an Anibal Sanchez come back out of nowhere and revive his career? If you can have all those things happen, then yeah, go ahead and do things exactly as they did. But I think it's a reminder that there are many ways to go about winning in baseball. And mm-hmm. you don't always have to strive to do the popular thing. It's just take as much talent as you can and try to ride it out with what they do best. And that's what the Nationals did. Credit to them. It was incredibly dull, I think, in the middle of that series, but it ended up being a classic with the way that it finished, uh, sort of like in, in, in 97. You know, That series was kind of dull up to the point where you finally got to Game 6 and Game 7 in Miami and could have gone better for Indians fans, but it, it sticks out because of how it finished, and I think that will be the, the similar sort of situation for this World Series. It's so weird to me that all seven games of the series, the crowd went home angry. <laughs> That's so bizarre. This was the series that provided the least amount of present yeah. happiness. Well, I mean, if you're going to say that that you take trends away from baseball, I guess you say that who needs home field advantage? I've always thought, I mean, it, I know it's nice, especially when you get in a tight game late. Tito always says, like, there's nothing like the anxiety of being on the road in extra innings. And, you know, with any pitch, one swing in the bat and the game's over. But... If you think about the three sports, like the NBA has, it's proven home field advantage is key in the NBA for whatever reason. Um, I, I feel like what's the adage about bench players playing role players playing better at home than yeah. on the road or whatever that is. But like in baseball and f- I think football too, it's just I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's that big of a difference. No. And we saw it in the playoff. I mean, the, the Nationals went into LA and stunned the Dodgers. And then they went to St. Louis and won the first two there. And then they go to Houston and win the first two there. I don't know. When you're a good team, well, you're a good team. Well, think about 2016, the World Series. The Indians won two in Chicago, right? Yet they lost three at home. Right. To the Cubs. Uh, th- or two, six, and seven. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, certainly not uh, something that is a complete deterrent. You can win on the road, you can win at home. It's not as probably crucial as we sometimes make it out to be. Um, I I don't know. Sometimes it's like, does having the middle games, those middle games, like three, the two, four, three, two five, is weird. Uh, having those at home, like maybe that would be better because that's the pivotal part of the series where things could turn. But even in this series, it's like throw that shit out the window. Uh, I'm curious to see what the Astros do now. Everyone yeah. thinks Garrett Cole's leaving. It, it like the difference in if if they Verlander's win another year older, Granky's yeah. another year older. If they win Game Seven, they're probably thinking, "Man, that's why you you take the big swing and you go get Granky and you go get Verlander a couple of years ago, and you go I mean you go get Garrett Cole, and, and everything would be justified." And now you're thinking like, "Okay, we lose Cole; those guys are a year older. Yeah. Like we got to pay Springer at some point here or Cole." And in reality, they won the one. So, I mean, you should feel really good about that. But this was this, this was a position the same way the Cubs were, where it was like, oh, no, this is going to be a steady run. Where they're going to win multiple titles. Then do you, do you, you have resist, all these young players. Do you have to resist that urge in the back of your mind? Because, like, it, it should be about – I guess, in theory, it should be about the process more than the results because October can be random. Sure. But – it's there's still that human nature that says like, all right, we didn't win at all, so we have to do more. We got to do something. Yeah. But what can you do? Well, I mean, isn't it kind of? I mean, we talked about this when we were talking about potential indoor trades. We brought up L.A. and New York, 
as two teams that recently haven't been as willing to take the big swing and have been more focused on how do I get as many shots at October as possible and realize that a lot of this is going to be random. And so it's sort of, it's sort of like the, the opposite here with Houston. They did take the big shots several times. The Cubs did too. They, they traded for Aroldis Chapman. It, I think it paid off for him. I don't think they win the World Series without him. Uh, they also... They, they gave up a lot for don't him. Don't need 10 innings to win the World Series without him. <laughs> Very true, but I don't know if they get to that point, I'm saying, without him. Um, so, yeah, it's, you you take the big swing and you hope that you win and you, you take your chances at one, but sometimes that negates you from several opportunities. And for an Indians fan who's sitting here listening to this, they say, who the f- cares about multiple runs in October? How do I get one? Because I'd like to see that in my lifetime. Uh, and, and I think that's a justified opinion. When you've been waiting 70 plus years for it, that's when you get into the territory. Like the Cubs were willing to do it because it had been 90 some years. What, 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 108. Oh yeah, 108. I know you did the, the math. And Washington had been 95 years. That, now, that's what I was thinking. They about. didn't have a team for a big chunk of that, but that, that's it. I mean, the Indians, it's 71 years. There's, there's no one else close no. i know the mariners but they didn't exist till what the 60s i pour one out for our friends in montreal of course um but geez like did, don't you get to some point where you're like all right we're the owners of this operation it's been 71 plus years it's the longest drought our fans are just so tired of the heartbreak of the same old like we should probably just... trade Francisco Lindor at this point. And did you hear the Dodgers' interest in him is intensifying? <laughs> oh, boy. Just wait. Get ready for more the, unsubstantiated the rumors. <laughs> tying good players to teams that might need good players has begun. <sighs> we, you know, we talked about it last week because it's obvious, and it's why you're going to hear it. And I don't think the Indians are wrong. Even if I, I made the stance that there is no way they should trade him, I still think it would be foolish to not throw him out there and see what teams are willing to give It does you no harm. And you don't even have to do anything. Let te- like Teams can call you. Sure. And drive up a bidding war. Leak, leak those rumors. <laughs> they did such a good job last year with whether it was them or agents or other teams leaking. They did such a good job of intentionally not putting the kibosh on any of that because it only helps them if you've got rumors of six different teams being interested in your all-star shortstop well that's going to lead to those teams upping their offers to make sure they have the best one even if the indians aren't actually shopping him yeah and i think the biggest part of that is just no team is and i said this about bauer and kluber too at the time and the bauer dynamic changed a bit some because of his antics, maybe. Uh, some because of you're losing control every day that, that dropped off the calendar was another day that that team wasn't going to get Trevor Bauer in the rotation. So that changed the return a little bit. But the whole time I felt like the biggest reason why it wasn't going to happen is because no team is going to pay what the Indians are going to require. And we know there's been several examples of this and there's been discussion of this both nationally and locally that the Indians have their stance and they don't they're not big into huge negotiations where they're going to meet you in the middle. You're going to have to come to them, especially in a move like this. And I just don't envision the teams that have the firepower and the want and desire to get two years of, of Lindor 
paying the price that it's going to take. Do you see the Dodgers giving you their top two prospects plus more? No. I, I don't I don't think they're going to give you Gavin Lux and, I mean, just run down the list. I, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. You said you're not even sure they would give it straight up for, for Lindor, and I, I, I might agree with you. So I just don't know if you're going to get that sort of desperation, but it does make it interesting when we're talking about the Nationals. They did just lose their superstars, in the, in, superstar in the offseason in Bryce Harper. Now, Bryce Harper and Francisco Lindor are a little bit different because you know, Harper has had some amazing seasons. He fluctuates a little bit less because he's not playing all-star caliber defensive and offensive shortstop. It limits his value a bit compared to Lindor. But there are some similarities there between a team that did lose their star and then took resources and put it back into the team. You know, they went out and got Patrick Corbin. Uh, they shored up other parts of their roster. Didn't hurt to have a 20-year-old just waiting in your farm system that was ready to blossom and explode uh, in Soto. But is it is it crazy to think that there are some similarities there that the Indians could take away? That eh, if you do lose your superstar, that it's not over yet. I think the the similarities come from both front offices thinking that losing that star player isn't the end of the world. Um, there's enough. There's still talent to contend. You would just need more to go right, and you would need to be active. I think that that's the difference, is the Nationals lost Harper in free agency. It's not like they, uh, I mean, they could have cashed in on him a year in advance or at the trade deadline that last year, and they, was it, ownership wouldn't sign off on trading him, and, you know, the Indians were reportedly involved in that too. Um, the difference is they lost him and they spent money. And that's kind of what they've done. I mean, it, yeah. the credit to, I mean, they did sign and develop Soto and Victor Robles and other guys, but, you know, they've they've signed a lot of their top talent. Like you said, there are different ways to go about this that can prove to be fruitful. With the Indians, it's, it's, it's a little tougher because you, if you trade Francisco Lindor, you have to nail it. Because if you don't nail it, and that might include, like, it's going to include a lot of young talent, but at least some of it has to be major league ready in the majors right now and not going through growing pains at the major league level. Because you can't, you can't take a step back. I, like, that that's the issue here is, and a lot of teams are doing this. You see the Dodgers, I think the Yankees are doing this somewhat, and we kind of saw this by the fact that they didn't, trade for a starting pitcher this summer but they're they're going with what the Indians have done which is we would rather take 10 swings at this you know you'd rather win 92 games for 10 straight years than have this 115 win juggernaut that looks like it can just beat everybody because that the Astros team didn't win it this year it's not guaranteed and I think teams feel like the more stabs they have at October the better chance they have of getting at least just like one, maybe two. That's been the Indians' philosophy. That's why they don't talk about windows. But it's also why, like, if you traded Lindor, like, like Mike Clevenger's 29, right? You don't know how much longer he's, I mean, he's he's going to be good for another few years. But, like, every year you waste of that is, is disappointing. Every year you waste of Jose Ramirez is disappointing. Kluber's 34. He's going to be 34. Carrasco's going to be, I think, 33. Like, you, you, if you trade Lindor, you still have to be good, and you have to use the extra resources you have then 
to add depth and add talent. And so I, that's why I, I, this is a long-winded, I always have long-winded answers. But this is this is my way of saying like podcast go for forty five minutes. But like the na- the way the Nationals did it was so much simpler because it was like okay we lose Bryce Harper but we have young outfielders we can replace them with and we'll put the money that we saved there into Patrick Corbin into our bullpen done that's it with the Indians it's so much trickier because it's I mean I hate the cliche of threading the needle but you really have to thread a needle here and you have to you have to hit it on a Lindor trade that I I can't see i haven't been able to find any examples of a contending team trading its top young player and staying good and getting pieces to keep it afloat not just that year but afterwards uh kenny lofton for marquise grissom and david justice yeah but then lofton just signed back what is lindor gonna re-sign with the indians in two years (laughs) I, I, i don't know that would Possible. be the, that, see that's the genius. Anything move. could happen. You trade him, get a haul for him, and in two years, Paul Dolan's like, "All right, tricked all of you. Swerve. Here you go, Francisco. Ten years, four hundred million. Yeah, sure. Now we have Lindor and Gavin Lux. What are you gonna do? Yeah, that would be some three D level chess that I would never <laughs> expect to ever happen. Uh, I think it's fair to ask, but really extremely difficult. And, and because you're talking superstars, and we put Bryce Harper in that category, you certainly put Lindor in that category. But I consider Lindor to be a more valuable player than I would consider Bryce Harper. Do, do you agree? Yeah, I think, I think, and he, well, he's more essential filling, to his team's success, too. True, but I think filling the hole that Bryce Harper leaves leaving is it's not easy, but it is easier than it would be sure. to fill the hole of what Francisco Lindor brings to the team and some of it is Lindor just the position that he plays yeah the fact that it's you're talking about shortstop um and to bring the offense that he does at a position that you're not throughout the the history of baseball not expecting a ton of offense you're seeing a lot of good shortstops today but and and what we laid out with all of the the leadership qualities all of of the ways that he helped brings the clubhouse together all of the ways that I tell you, Francona, since he's got here, has talked about uh, cultivating leaders and empowering them to help make decisions in the clubhouse. And if anything we've seen over the past several years is that Lindor has taken on that role and, and seems to unquestionably really embrace it yeah. in the clubhouse. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's a big part of it. That I don't, I don't think it's a completely spot-on comparison, but. I think it does at least show that if you do lose a star, but you reinvest in your team, it can pay off for you. Life it's can not, go it doesn't on. have to be a death sentence. Right. The difference here is that the Nationals were still in the conversation to pay Bryce Harper. Where we're still two years away from that with with Lindor. I mean, they they had to to make those decisions because his free agency was there. Whereas the Indians are perhaps being proactive in this. But I still, I still think he's going to be playing shortstop for the Indians for the next two years. I, at the end of the day, I just don't think they're going to be able to get the value that they would need to not only win over a fan base, but also just to give up what you could be having for the next two years with him just being your number one star. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think if if this was. A Vegas sports book, the 
odds would be in favor of him just playing out the the final two years of his contract. But I I don't know that any are like if the three scenarios are long term extension in Cleveland, that's probably the least likely than a trade and then playing out the last two years. But I, I don't all three might be under fifty percent. What do so, you think? so none of them are likely? Well, I'm thinking like maybe playing out the last two years here is 45%. Trading him is 35%. What does that equal? I don't know. I d- 80. didn't expect no, to do math. long-term extensions less than 20. Math's hard. Do you have to, does it have to equal 100%? I think that's the way math works, yes. Can't we just like rip off the gamblers here? Well, can't it just be like an athlete that says, I gave 110% out there? I was going to make a list of like them. If, if you're going to say 110%, then why stop there? Why not say you're going to give 500%? Well, so that's what I like. A thousand is, Have you ever come across an athlete who says like 120? And I'm like, okay, so you even took the cliche further, but you still stopped. Right. Why not just say If you're just making up percent, numbers. Yeah. Infinite percent. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why would you even have to stop at one ten? If you're, if why you're don't already you just say the, max effort. If you're into the realm, no, beyond max effort. I'm giving more than my max. Effort. I want to hear someone who says ninety nine percent. I got to save that one percent because you know I have a kid that's not sleeping at home, <laughs> right, and, and I gotta have at least a little energy when I get back. Yeah, I. <laughs> that's one of my least favorite cliches, and there are a which, lot. Which one's your favorite? Just trying to each and every day work hard each and every day. Even in the World Series celebrations last night, there were Anthony Rendon did an interview. Who, by the way, Anthony Rendon is going to get paid, and the team that pays him is very likely going to be very happy with that. Um, and I don't rule out it being the Nationals. Yeah, you're going to give Harper all that money, then why not give and, Anthony Rendon all that and money? And why you you're on this World Series high? Just go yeah, crazy, go wild. Um, gonna sell tons of merch. <laughs> like I'm wearing. Look what I'm wearing. There you go. Your national. My nationals dry, dry fit. fit. Yeah. Finally, I can, on, on one of these dry fits I can wear around, and my wagon. neighbors aren't like, "Why is he wearing that?" <laughs> um, As I mow the grass in my Oakland Athletics dry fit, uh, or my Tigers 2012 World Series dry fit. Unbelievable! What a collection you must have. Or my Milwaukee Brewers alternate throwback. Everyone is, is everyone is dancing on the field. There is nothing left to hold back. You're you're seconds away from spraying your teammates with champagne, and they're asking Anthony Rendon questions, and he's just like, oh, "Well, we took it one day at a time, and I'm just so happy to be here with my teammates." And I'm like, oh, "Listen, man, you don't have to pull this <laughs> bullshit." Well, he did also yell that he wanted bourbon. <laughs> did you see? I mean, that's better than. What, did you see what Garrett Garrett Cole said? No. What did he say? He said he wasn't didn't really want to talk because he wasn't a team employee anymore. He was a free agent. Jeez. Yeah. He's going to look good in the in Angels red. <laughs> Is that's not technically true until like 3 days after the World Series? You're still getting paid? I don't know. Does does it doesn't is he going to get a, a World I think it's the day after the, a I, bonus for playing in the World Series? Yeah. Well, Ryan Flaherty is officially a free agent. True, yes. So, and Puig, that's that's happened. And Tyler Clippard, have you put together your forty-man uh, movement ro- roster story yet? There's a lot of. There's gonna be a lot of movement coming up. 
They have to get. I mean, they have seven players on the sixty-day injured yeah, list. Yeah, and there's no injured list in the off-season, so you got to take all those players off and so make room for them again. So we're gonna probably pour one out for Danny Salazar in the next couple of days. Uh, I Tyler Olson's not safe. AJ Cole's not safe. Cody Anderson's not safe, but like you mentioned, he seems like a prime candidate to re-sign a minor league deal. Well, think of it. If you've gone through all of this rehab work, you've got to know all the medical staff. A lot of times players are just comfortable. You're you're not 100%, so stick with the, the team that knows you best, the, the people that you've worked with that know you best, unless you just had an awful experience. It just makes sense that you would stick around. But he's been in Goodyear for like four years. Don't you think he might want to branch out to like Mesa or Glendale or Peoria? What if the poor guy signs with the Reds? <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing. That's mean. Um... But yeah, I mean, you, you got to get Kluber back. No, there's time now. <laughs> there was there was time. <laughs> you got to get Kluber back. It's a Family um, Guy reference and um, a uh, on a the reference. roster. Yeah. So there's going to be some movement. You're going to see some guys DFA'd. Um, but also that they'll officially decline like Kipnis and Otero's options. That'll clear two spots. So there's going to be a lot of shuffling. And then they've got to secure add. Protect is the word I want. Protect guys who are eligible for the Rule 5 draft. And there's a handful of guys, Daniel Johnson, Tristan McKenzie, Kai Tom, Mark Mathias, I think, uh, and a couple others who like are at least will receive consideration. So if you are one of those relievers at the bottom of the totem pole, I'd be a little nervous yeah, for the next a couple weeks. They could just DFA Lindor. That would open a spot, yeah. <laughs> That's a- you just want to take care well, of Well, could you quick. do that? And, like, people would be so surprised that maybe he would clear waivers. <laughs> like, no one's checking the yeah. waiver wire for the next several days. Or could you do it, like, on Thanksgiving? <laughs> like, wait till then? Just do it on a weekend? Nobody's paying attention. <laughs> now, if Antonetti wants to play 3D chess, he'll throw a party for all the league's GMs. And, like, he'll host this party. It'll be, like, a crazy rager. He'll DFA Lindor right before. No one will see, and then everyone will be so hungover they don't want to do any work over the weekend. And by Monday morning, he is outrighted to Columbus. (laughs) Perfect. Just doing the work for him. Um, Do you have a random Cleveland Indian of the day for us? So I do. Uh, This is not who I wanted. And by the way, it has not stopped raining for the last... 24 hours now as we sit here in this car i'm not sure how much of that is you can catch on the audio here as we record uh but it is downpouring and i knew this was coming so i made a huge effort yesterday to go blow all the leaves out of the backyard and push them just push into the back because we have a ton and we, we have these two huge trees in our backyard that do not release their leaves until like middle of November. They hang on for everyone else has lost them. And there's these two huge trees that have to be hundred years old because our house is built almost a hundred years ago. So they have to be these super old trees. They don't let go of their leaves. So I'm always out there middle of November with these wet, disgusting, heavy ass leaves. And I knew I just had to take care of some of this now. I will say for as tedious of a job as that is, and I worked landscaping for a couple years, leaf cleanup after a while is one of the most disgusting, terrible jobs ever. But there's something therapeutic about going back there with like your your leaf blower and then going back and forth and just seeing 
There's something about just like that clean path that you're creating where you can finally see the grass again. It's kind of oddly therapeutic. <laughs> My dog has a new obsession of peeing on leaf piles. <laughs> I don't know why, but if you live in my neighborhood and have little kids, do not let them play or jump in your leaf piles. Oh, my dog has probably peed on top of it. You're never going to get this, and I feel bad. Um, <laughs> By the way, if you just want to bring Linus over anytime, I have a leaf pile that is as tall as you in my backyard. <laughs> he will have a field day. Uh, I'm also screwed because I just realized I was supposed to blow our leaves and forgot, and just gonna oh, do it later no. today, and of course, my wife just said she's going home early. So, uh, oh, you were gonna do it in this weather? Oh, yeah. Good luck. All right, this guy pitched for the Indians in '98 and '99. Any guesses? Jason Hockaby. No, but uh, career WAR negative zero point six. However, undefeated two and zero. Take that, nerds, sabermetricians. Um, two and zero, like with the Indians or in his career? In his career, <laughs> oh god! But with an eight seventy six ERA, uh, win win pitcher wins, man. Uh, the Indians drafted him in the twenty fifth round in ninety five out of New Mexico State. God. Um, what can I tell you? He pitched in two games for the Indians. How am I supposed to get this? <laughs> I know. I feel what year bad. did you say? Ninety-eight and ninety-nine. He pitched in one game <laughs> one each game season. Each. <laughs> <laughs> what? There's zero percent chance I am getting this. But like, the name is not unfamiliar to me, so maybe I was gonna do Michael Jackson, the reliever. Yes. But then I thought, one, he's a little too prominent for this. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. two. You didn't use the reason I picked it was yeah thriller Halloween, but then I was like, eh, did we cancel Michael Jackson? Where are we on that? So I went with this guy instead. Who you're never gonna get. I'm sorry. Yeah. This this two games with canceled. Two games with the Indians. Three total innings. Two runs. You know. So wait, he pitched in two games and he won them both. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, (laughs) this is bizarre. No, the two wins were with the Royals in the year 2000. Oh. Okay. Because he was selected off waivers by the Royals in November of 99. Made 11 appearances for Kansas City in 2000. Naturally went 2-0 with a 9-14 ERA. The will to win on that, man. Although, honestly, in 2000, a 9-14 ERA was about league average. So, <laughs> um, I think that was the ERA of the Indians pitchers in the playoffs that year. Didn't or wait, make no, the 2000. That year. I was thinking 99. Jamie Brewington and... Cameron Cairncross did their best. Aspire. Uh, he pitched for the Royals in AAA in 2001, then returned to the Indians and pitched in AA and AAA in 2002 and 2003. Oh, God. I, I have no idea. Righty or lefty? Uh, righty. But honestly, looking at his numbers, like, who knows? <laughs> I, I have nothing. I have no guesses. You were, when you said Jason Hockamy, you got his first name right. Jason. No, I, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. You're making me feel bad like this was too difficult. And then next time you're going to pick one that I'm never going to get. Uh, Sorry, according to Google, he might be a real estate agent now with Remax. Um, do you give up? 
you want me to tell yes, you? Yes, I, I absolutely. I gave up hours ago. Jason Rakers. Actually, uh, the name does ring a bell. Okay. Yeah, and because I told you the everything there is to tell when you. they faced him. <laughs> that that's all there is. I mean, it's he's forty six. He was born in Pittsburgh. I don't. know. What do you want to know? His middle name is Paul. Yes, I, I think the only reason why I remember is because when you played, those he was good in the minors. By old the way. Uh, major league games on whatever console you were playing. Triple play ninety nine. Whatever. The minor leaguers that were in those games, I think this is still the case, where they can't technically appear in the game until they've made an appearance in Major League Baseball under the official license because you're not actually part of the Players Association. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the rule is officially, but the minor leaguers in those games, were a lot of them were just made up, and some of them were actually based on real players, I believe, but... In the one game I remember playing, he was one of the actual people in the minor leagues that you could call up. Now, I don't know why you would want Jason Rakers on your roster, but he was readily available in case you needed him. One of my favorite things to do, and who knows if the Indians trade Lindor, they might be doing this, is take take the free agent list in those games and then just make a team of all free agents and see if I can make the playoffs with just a team of free agents. His major league debut came on May 6, 1998, in a 14-5 Indians win against the Orioles. Um, and he gave up all five. What's interesting, the Orioles obviously pushed the Indians in 97 in the ALCS, beat the Indians in 96, and then, like, what happened to them? 98, they went 79-83. They were fourth in the AL East. 99, 78 wins, 2074 wins, 2001, 63, and like that. They were terrible well, they were for an a long they time. They were an aging team, weren't they? Yeah. Like in 97, like, they were they were at almost the end of their... But so in this this game... Mike Mussino left. Their lineup was Robbie Almar, BJ Surhoff, Eric Davis, Palmero, Cal Ripken, Harold Baines, Jeffrey Hammonds, Mike Bordick, Charlie Green was catching that day. For well, Chris Hall, left like, in that's like still, the free agency. That's still a good lineup. Palmero went back to Scott Erickson Texas on the mound. Um, Where's Jimmy? The Keith? Indians lineup that day, though: Lofton, Vizquel, Justice, Tommy Alomar, Giles, Fryman, David Bell, Sean Dunstan. Lofton homered, Giles homered, Tommy homered. Tommy had five ribbies. Giles, Fryman, better hurry up Tomey and trade Giles for hits. a left-handed reliever. Man, was that bad? All right. Well, thanks yeah. for completely stumping me. Until next time, we're out of here. Have a good weekend, everybody. Hope you had a good Halloween again, like I said. And we'll see you next time. Dracula and his son. The scene was rocky, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backfires, baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about... The Selbius Godcast, featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi, is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. 
Thanks for listening.